The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. Hello, uh, my name is Todd Wetzel. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon from New York, past president of NAS, and we're going to be discussing psychologically informed practice. Uh, I'd like to ask the members of our panel to introduce themselves to my right. Good morning, Todd. Uh, my name is Greg Whitcomb. I'm a chiropractor on faculty at the Medical College of Wisconsin Department of Neurosurgery. Uh, good morning. I, I'm Chris Main. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I started off many years ago working in orthopedics, trying to disentangle physical and psychological factors in back pain. Well, welcome. Um, I have to take a brief editorial comment in saying that to my left, uh, Professor Main is certainly one of the leading experts in the world on this. And on my right, Dr. Whitcomb is the most recent recipient of the Selby Award for NAS. So we have a very distinguished panel, except for the host. <laughs> um, anyway, to, to start this, this off, we were discussing before we uh, got here, Chris, that you've seen this whole concept evolve. You've seen it evolve. I think your, your term was kind of from a nebulous cloud to a more codified mm -hmm. process. If you could just briefly describe that mm -hmm. for us and how that's going to help these principles get mm -hmm. integrated to the degree they should in clinical medicine. Uh, well, psychologically informed practice really developed out of pain management, which originally uh, was a multidisciplinary approach to patients with very severe chronic pain problems. And in fact, uh, the approach originated in Seattle, University of Washington, many, many years ago. Um, and then gradually these uh, ways of managing people, uh, which uh, placed emphasis on all sorts of aspects of pain and function, uh, really decided to try to reinstitute, you know, uh, uh, a decent level of activity and so forth. They then, uh, these techniques began to be used in secondary prevention programs, trying to move upstream and stop some of the dreadful uh, um, over-treatment and poor treatment that people were getting. Um, and we're now at the stage that people are wanting to know how to uh, incorporate some of these techniques um, into uh, the patient care. And I think the important thing is that it, it, it's, it, it is just a way of managing people and it's really based very much on the communication, how you get the information. It should actually help assessments rather than hinder them, but it does uh, require a slightly different way of thinking about um, the role of the doctor or therapist uh, and also uh, what sort of information they're getting. It's all about looking for obstacles to recovery and trying to identify those. Yeah, I, th I think there's a, a good deal of kind of misunderstanding about psychologically informed practice and certainly the pressures in the United States are very different from those you have at the National Health Service in, in the UK. But one of the um, recurring questions that I always hear is the time it takes. How much more time is it going to take me to learn this new communication style? Is that going to influence the number of patients mm -hmm. I can see? Mm -hmm. um, how, would you, how, how do you address that, Greg? Well, I think first of all, what there just has to be an inherent recognition that we have good evidence now and abundant evidence that psychosocial factors are as influential to outcome as anything we know physically. Um, getting that sorted out is a, a discussion for another day. Um, but the bottom line is there's an old saying, you know, it's not how hard, how hard you work in life, it's how smart you work in life. And I think just this elevated awareness that how we communicate 
to patients at basic levels is a powerful influence and uh, can directly impact how a patient uh, enters into a doctor-patient relationship, which is then by extension over time particularly influential on how they do, whether they buy into the necessary things um, that we know will be beneficial like reactivation and so on and so forth. And if we don't ha uh, seize on those opportunities, particularly on the front end, uh, we're now creating complexities that get harder and harder to manage over time and then there's associated costs and so on and so forth. So it, I think this can be done efficiently with awareness that requires some training obviously and we can talk about that later. Um, but as, as practitioners become more aware of how these uh, interactions are occurring and conscious of what's going on in that doctor-patient interaction or relationship, um, they will become more um, expedient in, mm -hmm. in, in, yeah. uh, in, in those uh, interactions and it really doesn't need to consume a lot of time. And I think also then you develop a level of awareness when you start to enter into waters perhaps that are a little deeper and a patient then not, needs to be re redirected into a more formal mental health care format. And these things do pop up. I mean, there's just mm, sure. a, a common part of practice. Yeah, I think you make an important point about the difference between uh, what traditionally was mental health care and uh, normal clinical care. We're talking here about normal psychology, like us. Yeah. We're not talking about people with major mental disturbance. Correct. They need specialist care. Correct. We're talking about the 85% of people with chronic pain that should and can be managed by clinicians without particular specialist external mental health input. So we're talking about normal practice here. And, and we build that on the basis of lots of studies that look at the predictors of outcome and the sort of things that are getting in the way of people re resuming function. Yeah. I would, I would also add too that just, because I work in a, an integrated care format with everything from physical therapists to neurological and orthopedic surgeons and sort of continuity of this awareness is important across disciplines as well. Mm, yeah. uh, so, you know, it's, yes, these initial interactions, especially at the primary care level, um, or primary spine care mm -hmm. level are important, but I think um, this is something that's directly re relevant to anyone that takes care of spine patients. And we know these predictors too are particularly powerful when it comes to spine pain. Oh yeah, for sure. The, uh, you know, you, you had mentioned that um, the, the time issue, and we've kind of come back <coughs> to that, how much time does it take to do this? And it seems that as the process has matured, a lot of your educational efforts now, Chris, have made that a very efficient way to assess some of these things. Well, it's slightly more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. I think obviously sometimes you get fantastically complex patients that no matter what you do, you can't sort it out in 10 minutes and they have to come back. So I think one would want to make a distinction between a first consultation and what you could achieve and one where you've, you've seen them for a number of sessions and some of these themes could be developed. Mm -hmm. um, does, 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 for this to be most uh, effective, does it have to be done at the intake evaluation? I mean, so, you know, suppose somebody mm -hmm. is going about their business and then they listen to one of yeah. uh, your lectures, take a course and say, okay, I'm gonna start integrating this in my practice. Is it more effective mm -hmm. to do this from the, the ground floor or it, can, can it still be done with reasonable? Yes, uh, but I, I think it, it actually, it's a way of managing people throughout. It's, it's probably more patient-centered than we're accustomed to. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, we know at the end of the day that um, uh, the issues that the patient brings uh, are often the ones that, if they're not dealt with properly, you end up in a, 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 a bit of a mess clinically. 
So that's a good question, but it's not the something, you don't shuffle it all up together and get it done in one and then you don't need to bother about it. It's a continual process of being uh, aware with the passage of time that other things can happen. Um, and and wh why are they not getting the benefit you would expect from the treatment? Yeah, I, I, would, I would tend to um, sort of affirm that I think uh, the initial interactions are the golden opportunities. However, as the old saying goes, better late than never. I think <laughs> if you become more aware of uh, psychologically informed practice with an existing patient population and come in, you'll start to maybe become aware of why a patient is sputtering or why a patient is succeeding and help yeah. to facilitate that. And I think it's harder if you're coming in the third or fourth session and suddenly trying to change horse. <laughs> it yeah, really that, is. That was kind of my question. <laughs> yes. You really wanted to start at the beginning. Yeah. But I, I just wondered whether perhaps people thought you might be implying that you get all the business done in session one. Oh, no, this is, uh, this, this is, uh -huh. this is the beginning of a process that uh, goes with the patient throughout the whole care yeah. pathway. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, one of the very interesting uh, things, and again, I think there are some of the barriers to more widespread um, integration of this are, are a bit mysterious to me, but I think we're certainly making progress. The literature certainly reflects the efficacy. Um, and I know you'd mentioned to me, Chris, that the NIH, unless certain pathways are followed, you don't get reimbursed for care, which is a very different model than we have yeah. here. Yes, I mean, the, uh, it, it's quite a complex model and it's continually changing, but the important thing is that, uh, if you like, the court contract uh, includes, it's almost like the, the, the workers' compensation board, perhaps, mm -hmm. in, and then it's a whole, the, the whole thing is kind of financed and looked at. Um, and an audit check is kept on, on professionals you know, how many x-rays are they ordering, all this sort of thing. Um, and it, it's being implemented in different ways in different parts of the UK. But yeah. by and large, it seems to be, you know, cutting down costs, which the government likes, and getting people to the appropriate kind of treatment faster, yeah. which the patients like. Yeah, well, you, 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 uh, you actually said, I think, the, the, the most important thing, that this is not adding cost when it is appropriately mm -hmm. done, it's reducing costs. Absolutely. Because it's improving yeah. outcomes. Yeah, no question. A any that. final thoughts, Greg? Well, I think, you know, uh, clinical behavior, especially in our country, is driven by this thing called reimbursement. And I think, to a certain extent, we have reimbursement upside down on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. We have Great. invested heavily in biomedical technologies that are entirely appropriate in certain circumstances, but not all circumstances. And that, that we have to understand that patients uh, are influenced by these factors, and if we're on, uh, inattentive to them, um, it's gonna be at additional cost. And I think if we need, we need to start considering systemically moving mm -hmm. toward a model that, in, that reimburses or helps to uh, sort of induce um, physician behavior that gets to this central issue. As a failure to do that, I mean, if you just take a look at what's happened to the cost of back care over the last 20, 25 years in this, it just continues to rise. Yeah. Um, and <coughs> we're not getting the return on investment, and we need to start thinking a little bit outside the box. And I think we ignore uh, our patients and their, uh, and their holistic needs at our peril, at, yeah. at their peril. So. Yeah, I think, I think those are, these have all been excellent points. Well, thank you very much for this very stimulating discussion. I think we all believe in the biopsychosocial model, but unfortunately, the bio sometimes has a bit too much pull in the whole thing, and really it's a, it's a compendium. 
So um, once again, thank you very much. Our pleasure. And, uh, well, thank you. Enjoy the thank rest you. of the meeting.